We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome back, dear listener. Episode 227 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It's an Australian podcast. We talk about news and politics and all things going on in the world. I'm Trevor the Iron Fist. With me, as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. And, of course, Paul the Twelfth Man. Peace. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, I've come in for some... Flack since our last episode, oh, yeah. That's and my wife discovered that it went for two hours. She she was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> she had to listen to it at twice speed. Did she, she? hasn't listened to it yet. <laughs> she clearly hasn't. She hasn't got to that episode yet. But when she heard it was two hours, she said, "It's too long." So you know, if you think that's the case, dear listener, um, it's too long. So too bad, but if you think it's about right... Um, has Mrs yeah. Fisk been listening to it all these years just out of pure loyalty? Then? I think so, but uh, I'm testing the friendship for the two-hour episode, apparently. Oh, dear. So, as I said, look, if you can just stop listening, that's okay. But according to our statistics, uh, Apple is able to gauge how much people consume of a podcast, mm. and it averages around 85 to 90%, which I think is pretty good. It's pretty good. So... Yeah, I mean, when we run out of things to talk about, we'll stop. But, mm. uh, anyway, I thought Arturo was fantastic, and we'll definitely have him back. And as I was saying to you just before we pressed the record button, I loved the uh, three against one scenario. Mm. It was good fun. So, <laughs> there you go. And we will revisit right. some of those issues as well, by the way. Uh, the Chinese influence Venezuela. in Venezuela. Well, not Venezuela, but China, the Chinese influence uh, in but, universities and yeah. the Four Corners report that you guys. That one is not going to go away anytime soon. Mm, So we'll get on to that. But meanwhile, so we're going to talk a little bit um, about ScoMo and Trump and Steven Pinker and a few other bits and pieces before we get on to that. Right. Melbourne Cup today. Uh, I don't really love Melbourne Cup. Not enthusiastic about Melbourne Cup? No, Hmm. I never have been. Pop quiz for you. How many people do you reckon... Regularly bet on horse races in Australia. In Australia, yes, regularly. That, that like every week, you mean? Yeah. Well, who would answer this question? I regularly bet on horse races oh, okay. when asked in a poll. As a, percent, percentage, as a percentage of, of the, the population, population? Mm. probably less than one percent of the population. No, I think it's more than that. You reckon? Yeah, I'd say about ten percent. Apparently, twenty-two percent. Wow! Really? Yeah. That's a lot. According to the essential poll, I thought that was a lot. That's a hell of a lot. Yeah. Do you so, suppose, um, you know, mobile phone-based betting has increased that figure? Yeah, I don't know. People bet on football games and things like that. But, mm. yeah, 22% apparently. Just on horse racing? I regularly bet on horse races. Wow. Regularly to me sounds like at least monthly. Yeah. Mm. So... It's more, than, really it's more than the number of people going to church. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course... We know a, that's only 15% go once a month. It's yeah. a big industry, uh, yeah. betting generally, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So anyway, um, and 39% say, I rarely bet on horse races, but we'll be watching the Melbourne Cup and placing a bet. That makes sense. Yeah. 39%. Yeah. So there you go. I didn't watch it, didn't place a bet, didn't even keep tabs of it. I watched week. it, mm. but that was... Uh, it was partly because it was an activity at my mm. place of employment. Yeah. 
Yeah, as it often is. Mm. Mm. Right. Um, Wheat Watcher in the chat room says, the length is open to interpretation. Long is fine if it is engaging and interesting. Thank you, Wheat Watcher. I lost track of... Um, I didn't realise, but the chat room app froze on me last week, so when people made comments towards the end, I, I didn't see them. So keep your comments coming and we will try and incorporate them as best we can. Right. Um, came across an article about Mount Warning in northern New South Wales, yeah. in, the Tweed, in the Tweed area. And this, well, as we predicted mm. and as lots of people have predicted... The floodgates uh, have opened. Mm, activists who've campaigned for years to end climbing at Mount Warning, uh, saying the recent closure of Uluru has given them the momentum they need to make it happen. Yep. So it's considered a sacred site for the Bunjalong people and they've apparently been campaigning for years to stop the 100,000 or so people a year from climbing it. Mm. And Elder Robert Korowa said, um, I'm very motivated, motivated by what I've seen at Uluru. We've been trying to pull the chains down and stop people climbing it for years. Uh, he said he does not even visit the mountain as seeing people desecrating the sacred site is too upsetting. Yeah. See, I have climbed... Mount Warning. Mm. I've been right up to the top where you got that last 30 metres or so where you've got to drag yourself up by a chain. Mm. It was not dangerous, and this was when I was a lot less well, a lot less fit than what I am now. Mm. I made it to the top. I sat up there, I ate some lunch, and then I turned around and head back down again. You ate in a sacred place. That's Absolutely. like eating in, ch- in a cathedral, well, Scott. That's fine. <laughs> you know, so... Um, no? I, and, you know, I just think that this whole... Nonsense of places being sacred. Yeah. It's going to come back and bite us in the bum, to be frank. Absolutely, yeah. You know? And there's nothing about Mount Warning that is sacred. It's just, you know, it's a beautiful place to... Sacred is just an idea in Absolutely. the minds of those who think it is. That's, yeah. There's nothing more or less than that. I mean, it's a beautiful view from up the top there. There's no doubt about that. But it's nothing dramatic about it, you know? It's probably higher than Uluru. Oh, it would be, yeah. Wouldn't it? I uh, think prob- so. Probably. I, I don't, it's I'm a bit sure. pointier. Uluru yeah. is not yeah. really that high yeah. off the surrounding It's plane. hard to tell because you don't have something to judge mm, it that's by. That's true. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he says also, this elder says, I'm ashamed to go there. It makes me really sad to watch people climbing it. I don't want to let people think they've got the right. Money and greed is the main factor for desecration of sacred sites. And this is the heart of it, isn't it? People who think it's a sacred place, which is just an idea, they think other people don't have the right not to think it's a sacred place. Mm, indeed. And, and that's what and, bothers and, me a and lot. If you, res- you know, if your primary reason for uh, wanting climbing of Uluru stopped was to pay respects duly to the elders of that region, mm. then you'd have to apply the same logic to this circumstance sure. and any other one that crops up. To be consistent. Yeah. So... Um, Look out, Australia. Examine your ethical reasons, if that's what you're thinking. Yeah. Because here's the other thing that's got me in this discussion, because I noticed it a few times on different Facebook posts and things, was, was the idea that you're a stupid, silly white person for wanting to climb this hill. Why can't you just enjoy it from the bottom? It was like you were a numbskull for wanting to climb something. And yeah. it's perfectly normal human Isn't nature it? to want to climb something. Isn't and, it just? And, and in the case of Mount Warning, 
I believe that because of its height and being close to the coast, if you're at the top at sunrise, it's mm. the first point on the east coast of Australia to receive sunlight. It is. It's the top of Mount Warning in the morning. I didn't go up there that early. Yeah, yeah. so... Next time. Yeah. <laughs> so in future, if you're wanting to climb, maybe you will need to subscribe to some sort of pagan religion that places importance on the There's winter no solstice or the, or the yeah, sunshine... And, pagan religious and might, cult. And you might then claim you've got your own special sacred belief in the early morning sunrise hitting the mm. earth or something like that. Sun worshipper. This is the danger of... Of, of pandering of, of, to of, this kind of superstitious in, nonsense. In, indeed. So there we go. And there'll be lots more sites like it. So They will. Yeah. Right. Um, Scott Morrison. <laughs> Oh, I had to Not post, one of your favourite people? I had to post fist? something on Facebook today with basically, you know, they say countries get the leaders they deserve and <laughs> we must have done some bad shit to deserve this guy. Like he's... Honestly. So we've had the protests, which we've sort of said, well, not happy that people are uh, intentionally trying to get arrested. Like, make your protest and you, they've lost our support, I think, in their trying to get arrested like there's plenty of ways to demonstrate mm. anyway so there's plenty of ways to demonstrate on a saturday afternoon too ladies and gentlemen yeah. you don't have to do it during the week yeah so here's what scomo had to say about that and also about people who are doing um sort of boycotting of of companies that are supporting the mining industry so and he was talking at some address he was giving to some sort of mineral mineral association or miners group or something like up that. here on in brisbane on uh, yeah this yep. uh, Friday of last week. Okay, here we go. I'll just play a bit of this clip. A new breed of radical activism is on the march. When are they coming after the abattoirs, the airlines? Is that the sort of economy that they see in the future and we're prepared to allow to occur? We're working to identify serious mechanisms that can, can successfully outlaw these indulgent and selfish practices. Thoughts? It's effectively outlaw these indulgent and selfish practices. I mean, the man is just, he's got a, he's got a bug up his ass, mm. frankly, about the environmental aspect of the protest. Yep. And, you know, I can't believe that Malcolm Turnbull would attack the protesters in the same way that ScoMo is. Turnbull would probably say, oh, you know, they really should be at work, they should be doing that sort of thing, but I can't believe that Turnbull would say, no, they shouldn't be out there protesting, mm. you know? This is just ScoMo who's showing that he's probably a, a deep down a climate change denier. And, you know, the other thing, he said they're going to close the abattoirs and come after the airlines. I mean, that's yeah. just bullshit. It is. You know? It's scare tactics, isn't it? Absolutely. And Everybody that I've heard discussing the issue on, on TV or wherever has said, don't know how he's going to manage it without really uh, impinging on people's right to demonstrate. Mm. So, I mean, we've got laws that basically mm. you can't do what these guys are doing, mm. so you get thrown in the clink for a few mm. hours and a fine and whatever. So what's he proposing to do upon, above and beyond that? I, I don't suppose know. he's going to open up prisons. I don't know. No. Who, who knows? But... Well, yeah, I don't know how he's going to manage it. it. It's worse than that. So let me tell you a bit more about what he was saying. So wandering from his prepared notes, Mr Morrison said progress, progressivism 
sounded like a lovely word you can cuddle up to and get a nice warm glow, but in reality it was like a form of propaganda from George Orwell's dystopian classic 1984. Those who claim this title want to tell you where to live, what job you can have, what you can say and what you can think and tax you more for the privilege of all those instructions that are directed to you. He told a thousand strong audience at the Queensland Resources Council's economic contribution launch. Quote, I am very concerned about how this new form of progressivism, a newspeak type term, intended, intended to get in under the radar, but at its heart would deny the liberties of Australians, and particularly in this state, of pursuing the life that they want to live the town they want to have, the jobs they want to pursue and the futures that they have decided for themselves. Well, he partly has a point because a lot of um, so-called progressive activists do want to tell us how to live and what we can and can't do. I mean, he, he sort of has a point, up, up to a point. Right. But yeah, not... But, you know, he can... He's quite... He can paint that sort of thing if he wants to. Mm. But then when he goes up and says that we've got that they're using the law to prevent them from protesting, mm. that is where I draw the line. Me too. Mm. You know? I mean, I think you're right. You have to agree with him because there are a number of people in that protest group that do want to yes. dictate the sort of life you can live. They want to get everyone into being a vegan. They want to get everyone to not fly aircraft. All that sort of thing. A whole range of things that some of the hardcore activists would like to just prevent everybody doing. Mm. Yeah, well, here's the thing, though. It's, he's the one sort of drawing, you know, Orwell's 1984 yeah. analogies, mm. and he is the one most yeah, it's a bit likely of irony to commit there, isn't there? a 1984-style yes. breach. Absolutely. Of, so, yeah. um, so when it was like, you know... Will they be coming for the abattoirs and the airlines? Is it is a bit like that speech, not from nineteen eighty four, but was you know from first first they came for the, the, the socialists and I said nothing, and then they came for the trade unionists yeah. and I said nothing, and they came for the Jews and they said nothing, and then they came for me and there was no one left to say anything. So it's sort of he's echoing that sort of line. Mm. He's the one going for people, and um, you know. He's the one who's sort of, um, if you like, looking to implement some sort of totalitarian squashing of protest, if you like. Uh, that, that's the sort of irony of this is, um, is, is what he's doing. So yeah. when it comes to doublespeak, newspeak, then really if anyone's guilty of it, it's going to be ScoMo. So he doesn't mm. see it though. So anyway. Right. Um, of course... What else have the government been up to? Well, remember when um, Matthias Cormann got into trouble because he had received some free travel from Hello World and then uh, that company, uh, let me see. The company a month or so later got awarded the... A, uh, a $1 billion dollar contract. travel contract. Yeah. yeah, with Senator Cormann's own department. Yeah. So he and his family but received But that was just a coincidence, flights. I think, yeah. wasn't it? Months before the company won a $1 billion travel contract. And what does the government do? Instead of pursuing Matthias Cormann, they're pursuing the whistleblowers. Oh, to The people cool. within Hello World who they think provided the information. Yeah, being attacked. So there's a criminal investigation has been launched 
into the suspected whistleblowers. A criminal no, investigation. Yes, by Victorian police, but nothing in relation to Matthias Gorman yeah. getting freebies mm. and, and a contract being awarded. Highly suspect, isn't it? Yep. I mean, I don't think that Matthias Gorman getting a family's worth of um, business class would be enough to sway him to go on with the Hello World. I mean, I think the link between Hello World's CEO being something rather to do with the Liberal Party Probably. is where it came in. Mm. But, you know, it does smell pretty bad, doesn't it? It does. It smells bad. And the people who exposed it are the ones who are actually having to fight. Exactly. And that makes, that's really crooked that they're going yeah. after is those that, guys. Is that not Orwellian? Like, do, do you guys think we need stronger uh, whistleblower protection absolutely. laws? Absolutely. Mm, me too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's clearly in the public interest. Absolutely, yeah. If it's, if it's proven to be in the public interest, you should be okay. I agree. Mm. The other thing that's come out is, um, you know, one of the things in this podcast, dear listener, is I just hate the thought that this country is going to head down the American line and follow everything that America does. <laughs> and I'd much rather us following a European-style example if we can. And one of the things that they do in America is this um, adulation of the military in the sort of thank you for your service is, you know, said to every military personnel at every opportunity. And it is an Americanism, I think. And I'm so sure. Do you think it's strictly an American thing? I think countries all over the world have honoured their military. But they don't do it in such an obvious manner. So like sure. all when the time. I was in the US, I was travelling domestically between Los Angeles and somewhere else. And the guys that were in uniform, they got bumped up to the front. Mm. Front of the queue for front, boarding. Front of the queue and boarding and that sort of mm. stuff. They also got moved up to the front of the plane because mm. they were the better seats. Mm. But it was really these young kids were being treated like celebrities because they were in uniform. Mm. It's just – it was quite – Disturbing, I think, is probably one way of saying it. It was quite disturbing how there was this, they were heaping praise and adulation on them just because they were in uniform. Mm. And it's sort of a bit of a tradition that if in casual conversation somebody says, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm in the army or whatever, it would be, oh, thank you for your service. Oh, really? Yes, very much that sort of thing. Um, if it comes up in conversation. Certainly much more than you would see yeah. here in Australia. And so Scott Morrison has been very keen to implement this sort of veterans card where vets will get discounts at different private commercial operations. Mm. So he's trying to get private operators to sign up to the special discount card for, mm. uh, for vets. And that's one of the Americanisms that he's... Uh, trying to introduce that gives me the irrits, Scott. But it's also true, isn't it, that uh, suicide rates are higher in in veterans? Is that Uh, not true? No doubt. But, you know, I think... So perhaps they deserve a little bit extra help. Yeah, but I just think that... um, It's it's not the Australian way to be... Put your hand up all veterans. the time and saying, I'm a, I'm, to be putting your hand up and saying, I'm a vet, treat yeah. me with respect sort yeah. of thing. Like, you and know. I don't think most Australian veterans would want to be treated exactly. that way. Exactly, they wouldn't. No. So, and it's actually, when this was brought up probably 12, 18 months ago, we were talking about it and there was a whole yeah. group of veterans that said that they were not going to get on the plane first, they were going to wait until it was Correct. their turn to board the plane. So that sort of priority service for planes got, yeah. got kiboshed, mm. but this sort of veterans discount card is mm. apparently about to... Be rolled out. Yeah, I don't personally have a problem with a card for veterans right. to give them some kind of 
you know. No, neither do I. It's just um, discounts or something, you know, some extra help. What are they going to do? Are they going to say to private? Are they going to say to them, "Look, you've got to give these guys a five percent discount. And we'll look after you." Are they, or are they just going to say, "How does it work?" No idea. Anyway, I, um, companies sign up and say that they'll provide discounts, and then they electronically get mm. sort of onto the card, and that's when they go to buy a donut and a coffee at. Which Donut is world. Not very different to what already happens so, with a lot of companies. Yeah. You know? Um, if, if you're a member of a, a union, uh, you, you can get a, a union shopper card and things like that. Mm. And certain businesses sign up and they'll give you a mm. bit of extra discount. Mm. I've, I've just got a thing about it because I see it as an importation of From an American. Anything. And, and I see it also as a little bit of a glorifying of military service and, mm. well, since we're on the topic of 1984, you know, yeah. since this Morrison government, I've had to refer to this book a lot more than, you know, <laughs> in the past. <laughs> Just uh, a little bit from here. It is not desirable that the proles, the proletariat, uh, should have strong political feelings. All that was required of them was a primitive patriotism that could be appealed to whenever it was necessary to make mm. them accept longer working hours or shorter rations. Mm. So... Scamo again, uh, from, this, this is the playbook. This, yeah. is, this is the, 1984 is the Scamo playbook. But, you know, that reminds me of China again. We, were talk, we mentioned China earlier. And in China, they have a very strong nationalistic uh, sort of indoctrination, uh, I don't know if program's the right word, but certainly the school kids get a lot of it, nationalism in school. But they're not expected to be, you know, uh, very much involved in the political process beyond mm. just doing what they're told by the Communist Party. But they mm. do instill that very strong, very mm. deep nationalism. Yeah. I just I, I don't want to see an overt glorifying of our military personnel. Okay, have a discount card or have a government, for example, a gold card for injured vets, etc. Mm. Sure. But uh, not an overt sort of... Uh, I'd like to see, what, see a special card instituted for teachers, veteran teachers. Right. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> and the other thing that they've done is, of course, we are in the middle of a housing bubble that is going to, at some point, pop, and it's going to be carnage and blood in the street. Do you think? And yet they say it's, um, it's, clearance rates have gone up a bit mm. in Sydney and Melbourne, haven't yeah. they, just recently? Yeah, yeah. So the bubble's still, still growing. But what, what does the coalition do? But... We talked about this when they were considering it before the election, Scott, which was um, for first home buyers who cannot afford the deposit, who cannot get the twenty percent. Yeah. If they can get five percent, mm, the government's going to the government will sort of cover the bank if it all goes sour, and the bank misses out on that fifteen percent that would otherwise have been covered. Mm. So, a sort of a guarantee, if you like. Mm. So. That is just going to keep prices high mm -hmm. and it's going to saddle first home buyers with an even bigger debt and it's just kicking a can down the road mm. of... Uh, and it's inflationary, isn't it, in yeah. the housing market? It is, yeah, absolutely. Yep. So that's what they're up yeah, for. There. I think what we've got to do is we've got to find a way where we can... I don't want to see prices go backwards because that will hurt me. But um, I agree with Trevor, though. We've got to do something about it. They've got to stop going up. Absolutely. We've got to stop them going up. We've got to, you know, we've got to... They've gone high enough. They, they have gone high enough. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. My place is 
got a valuation at about $840,000 on it. Mm. You know, now it's just nonsense. Mm. You probably paid one sixty. Yeah. yeah. So to be eligible for the scheme, uh, you've got to be a first-home buyer and uh, the value of the house cannot be above a certain amount. Mm. So if you're buying one in Brisbane, you could buy a house up to $475,000. That's out of that's suburbs. First, yeah, yeah. But as your first-home buyer, mm. this is to help you, you know, so mm. that seems a reasonable figure. In, uh, in Melbourne, it's 600000 In country mm. Victoria, it's three seventy-five. Mm. In New South Wales, in Sydney, it's 700000 yeah. just to show you the different sort of... Well, the average price now, is it average or median? Median think, price for a house in Sydney now is a million dollars. Yeah, 1.1 or 1.2, yeah, something like that. crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so there we go. Um, it happened a little while ago, but the... Uh, the US managed to get that guy in a tunnel, um, the head of ISIS and... Yeah. Uh, Al-Baghdadi. Yes. Al-Baghdadi, yeah. Yeah. So... Did and you, we are not mourning his loss. Uh, no, we're not. But did you hear some of Trump's... Oh, it was absolutely ridiculous what he said. Isn't yeah. he a clown? Well, have a listen to a bit more than perhaps you've heard before. So I've got a little bit of a clip of Trump here. From the first day I came to office and now we're getting close to three years, I would say, where's al-Baghdadi? I want al-Baghdadi. And we would kill terrorist leaders, but they were names I never heard of. They were names that weren't recognizable, and they weren't the big names. Some good ones, some important ones, but they weren't the big names. I kept saying, where's al-Baghdadi? And... So he could say that name. Four weeks ago, they were able to scope him out. You know, these people are very smart. They're not into the use of cell phones anymore. They're not. They're very technically brilliant. You know, they use the Internet better than almost anybody in the world, perhaps other than Donald Trump. But they (laughs) use the Internet incredibly well. And what they've done with the Internet through recruiting and everything, and that's why he died like a dog. He died like a coward. He was whimpering, screaming, and crying. And frankly, I think it's something that should be brought out so that his followers and all of these young kids that want to leave various countries, including the United States, they should see how he died. He didn't die a hero. He died a coward, crying, whimpering, screaming, and bringing three kids with him to die. Certain death. And he knew the tunnel had no end. I mean, it was a uh, it was a closed closed end. They call it a closed end tunnel. Not a good place to be. That's a technical term. A closed end yeah. tunnel. <laughs> and nobody uses the internet. <clears throat> yeah, they use it better than anybody, except perhaps Donald Trump, who's the best user of the internet. Referring to yourself in the third person. What a wanker! What he is a, a wanker. complete wanker. His, lang- his grasp of the English language leaves a bit to be desired, doesn't it? He's just on, a tool. On, honestly, he, he is a tool. That's he, a good word for him. He is one of the worst possible people in America to be as president. Like, totally agree. You could walk down any street in America and out of 100 people pick 99 who would be better than him. Like, oh, unbelievable that that's yeah. what's happened. So, and people often use the word qualified. He's probably one of the least well-qualified people mm. to lead the United States in mm. uh, maybe forever. You see, he's rich. So that's Oh, he's a businessman. He knows how yeah. to 
two deals. That's exactly. what they think. But of That's course he inherited think. it all. Mm. So he didn't make his money at all. If he'd just taken his inheritance and he whacked did. it in the stock market in an index fund, he'd have much more than what he's got today. Exactly. Mm. Because he's lost money on various deals and all that sort of thing. It just mm. What an yeah. embarrassment. But he is. Uh, at the end of the day, he's a he's a result of a system. Like he's not an aberration. This this is a result of a system. So uh, when we'll Donald Trump disappeared... We'll have to wait and see because you've got the two front runners on the Democratic side. Now, I'm backing Elizabeth Warren. I think she's a hell of a lot better than Joe Biden is. Now, she's very left-wing. She is wanting to break up the large tech companies. She wants to break up the banks. What she said in response to the global financial crisis was exactly right. Mm. You know, she said that they should have allowed the banks to go belly up, but mm. instead they bailed them out and then the bastards paid themselves bonuses with yeah. the bailout money and they've left, you know, they, they, they privatised the gains but they socialised the losses in that situation, mm. which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Now, Elizabeth Warren wants to do away with all that and that, she, wants, and she, she wants, also wants to introduce a wealth tax and all that sort and, of stuff, and, which and I'm and leaning national, towards. National health care. Absolutely. Mm. You know, I think that... I think she's what the America is what the what the Americans actually need. I think they need a bloody great big dose of left wing yeah. thinking. My only my only um, pause with her is: Would she know how to go and get Baghdadi in a you know in a in a cave? Like, I think like, she'd probably and hunt him down like the cowardly dog no, that he was. I think yeah. she'd probably stand back and let the American military go and do what yeah, they need they to do. They would do their job, and she would say, "You are the professionals. Yeah, do your work. Do your work. Yeah." Mm. And she would just set the parameters about what what either can and can't do. Hopefully, she would. Mm. I was talking to a friend today, and um, basically, I, sort of the the conclusion was, you know, how are we going to fix the world in Australia at least, and. Really, we don't have an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders or a Ocasio-Cortez type character in our politics yet. Thank goodness. Which one of those three didn't you like? Ocasio-Cortez. Right. What's wrong with her? She's just a social justice warrior, that woman. She's not a woman with great depth as far as I can tell. No, no. She was behind the Green New Deal and that was a bloody good document. Was it? Yeah. She's she's prepared to stick it to power, so I like her. Yeah, there's that. And Mm. and that certainly has its, um, its benefits, but I'm not sure she has the intellectual depth to really be a good um, political leader, to be honest. Oh, I think she's prepared to change rusted on sort of institutions that are at the heart of the problem. So Yes, but I th- it requires more than that. It requires more than just the, you know, the determination to change things. You need to have a, um, a basis in, you know, a, a deeper understanding of history and how society works. And I, I haven't seen any evidence that she has oh, that. I disagree. Every time I've heard her, I, I like what she says. Mm. So we'll see. We'll but, see. But we don't have anybody... Because they're clearly trying to tell another story here, like uh, different. Like we don't have that same sort of character on the left here at all. No, we don't. So, because so when are we going to get one? Well, when the when the gap between rich and poor gets to too extreme, then you're going to have an extremist on the left who's going to stand up and say, "This has got to stop." I just thought of one. Sarah Hansen Young. Right. <laughs> no, no, so that's all but, about identity. Yeah. But this this the. 
the whole sort of taking on the one percenters, uh, this, it's not happening. This discussion is not happening yet. Mm. So, uh, and as I concluded was because we just haven't had enough pain yet. Like we need some pain before people will wake up and go, oh, shit, it's actually not working. Mm. Uh, we need to change things. So there's enough people feeling that way in America. Mm. So There is not enough people feeling like that in America. Mm. And it just, we'll have to mm. see how the next election goes. But I truly believe that the Americans are ready to throw Donald Trump out and we'll have to wait know. and see. But I would have thought that they'd probably have a better chance with Elizabeth Warren rather than Joe Biden. Yeah, Joe Biden's yesterday's news really, yeah. isn't he? Like the whole He's thing with the Ukraine, hard. like yeah. what his son was doing over yeah. there, it's not a good look. It's no, clearly and, a form and, and, of um, nepotism and... Yeah. You know, official corruption, in yes. a sense, isn't and it? and you can't control what your son does, but no, you should but say, hey, everybody, I can't tr- control what my son does, but he's, he's involved in the Ukraine and therefore I can't do what I'm doing because there's a clear conflict that's going to appear here. Yeah. So Which I'm sorry. he didn't do. Yeah. He apparently greased the machinery for his son on yeah. of several occasions at yeah. least. Yeah. So... Uh, he's, it's just not a good look, as you say. Yeah, he's definitely just part of the yeah. establishment. No, I think he's so. finished as a as a contender, mm. to be honest. Mm. Joe in the chat room says, Shalom, and Wheat Watcher says, I think Trump will likely win the next election. Some really? people think he will. It's quite possible. Yeah, it's not beyond the realm of possibility by any means. Yeah. No, it's not beyond the realm of possibility, but I just think to myself there's so much. You know, it's... <laughs> You've got this situation that's blowing up in his face right now. Now, um, John Oliver, thing. yeah. John Oliver calls it stupid Watergate too. He's right. It is Watergate too, and it's a stupid Watergate. He says it's the Watergate that none of us ever wanted to go through, but we're going to have to go through it. Now, in this last oh, lot of hearings, you had one of the um, American servicemen who was listening in on the phone call and he stood up and he said in the he said in the inquiries he said what the president was doing was virtually illegal mm. you know he's clearly illegal and yeah. it's clearly impeachable but it's clearly the case that the republican no the, the will, republican will senate imp- will not impeach yeah yeah so he'll get away with it he I will get so. away with it but, but at least it will expose what he's been doing mm. and so it has that benefit of being able to just give him shit over the he next He was exposed months. as a, a low-grade human being before the election and he yeah. still got elected. I, indeed. So, chances are, he, look, he might, he might win. Yeah. Very well, Mark. Yeah. He uh, might, but let's hope he doesn't. Yeah. Because I think, I think that and, America needs a left-wing And, and he thinker. will paint a picture that he has been hounded by the Democrats in an unfair investigation. And look... He's been exonerated by the Senate, so that shows that it was all a beat-up. And America, they're trying to basically overturn your vote by getting rid of me, so you show them that they can't overturn your vote. You'll play all those cards. Mm. Yeah. So, and he's got a gerrymander in his favour as well, so Mm. anything is possible. Mm. Right. Um. Wheat Watch is saying, although I don't think Trump is a particularly astute president, I don't see the opposition as being able to get the support needed. That's a fair enough argument, Wheat Watcher. Mm. It is. You know, um, Hillary Clinton was said by all the polls she was going to win. 
but she didn't win. And, and if Joe Biden's a candidate, you know, if you're a poor American Democrat, you think, well, why would I bother? Exactly. Really? If that's what you're giving me, why would I bother? And exactly. Do you think, do you think Hillary might throw her hat in the ring again? No, no, she's out. She's out. No. Definitely? Yeah. Because some people are, you know, there are rumours yeah. floating around that she's contemplating it. Yeah. She would be contemplating yeah. it. Yeah. But hopefully it will be That's the size of her yeah, ego. Yeah, of course. They've but, all got that ego. Yeah, but yeah. she's got... Absolutely Buckley's chance of, mm. of winning. Mm. Right. Uh, I mean, Obama would be running up again if he, if he could. So. Mm. Remember, folks, how there is a chance that Obama could be president again? Do you remember how that worked? No. No. That was because if, for example, uh, Elizabeth Warren was elected president, and chose him as a running mate. He oh. could be vice president. Seriously? Yes. Yeah, and if she uh, took a bullet or fell ill or whatever, then the vice, president, the vice president becomes president and you are eligible because it's, the yeah. rule is you cannot be voted in an election more than twice. But you could, oh, okay. you could fall yeah. into the position mm. from vice president role and become president in that way, so anyway, yeah. little fun yeah. fact for you when you and a lot of people expressed uh, concern about uh, the current vice president becoming president through that mechanism. Yes, yeah, but mm-hmm. let's face it, you know, I mm-hmm. think Pence would be far better than the current incumbent. It's well, interesting to think about that, isn't would it? Would he? Would he? Well, he might be a would little he? bit more level-headed. He's a well, he's a Christian just about nut. anybody would be. That's the problem. Like the thing about Trump is. He's a fool and incapable of getting anything done. Yeah. Imagine if you had somebody with the same moral standing but with more managerial competence, the damage they could cause, like, which could be a description of Pence perhaps. Indeed. So, you well, know, a, Pence, Pence could be more dangerous because he could be more capable well, and his that's... ideas are just even more nutty when it comes well, to Yeah, religion. his ideas yeah. are downright sinister uh, I don't know when why you're thinking he's any better. Religion. But he might be a more steady hand on the tiller. Whichever way the ship's going, I don't know. But Trump's, know. Trump's hand isn't on the tiller. No. So Pence will grab hold of the tiller and send it. Who knows where? Like who knows? Yeah, the tiller is spinning wildly. Mm. Well, with Trump at the well, uh, I think on Pence would probably. I think Pence probably watches um, The Handmaid's Tale and says. Wow, that was a great society. Yeah, he, probably, <laughs> he probably sees it as a utopia <laughs> yeah, rather exactly. than a dystopia. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Yes, speaking of The Handmaid's Tale, that's all happening over in Western Australia. So Yeah, that was ridiculous. It's mm. happening in Western Australia? It I is. thought it was made in the United States. Well, it's, it's, it's happening over there where they've got their own little theocracy. Seriously? Gradually. Yeah. The, the Evangelicals <clears throat> in the Liberal Party over there. Oh, you're there. talking about the WA Liberal Party yes. now? Oh, yeah, okay. I, yeah. And what colour are their robes? Uh, well, I don't know. Have you seen photos? I yet? don't know. They've got the women locked up in, at home cooking and... Breeding, I don't know, but yeah, baking apple pies and stuff. Yeah, so there's a guy over there called Nick Goiran, G O I R A N Goiran, and he's obviously hardcore Christian, Christian evangelical mm-hmm. and a power player and best mates with Matthias Corman, it seems. Is yeah. Matthias a strong Christian? Do you he know? is, yeah, yeah. and he's Catholic, isn't he? So, uh, From Belgium, so likely a Catholic. Oh, look up the IFVG Secular Index and it will tell you uh, what his um, religion is. Right, um, so this Nick Goyeran is in the State Parliament in Western Australia and they're facing a few 
interesting decisions. So they've already had a situation where they were looking at uh, surrogacy. Surrogacy laws. Mm. And changing the surrogacy laws to allow same-sex couples to to access Mm. the technology. So in the debate, he did at that stage what's called a filibuster. Yeah. And again, this is an importation of an Americanism. Mm -hmm. It has happened around the world, but it's definitely... We should have our own name for it. Indeed. (laughs) It actually comes from some, uh, well, filibuster, a political procedure where one or more members of Parliament or Congress debate over a proposed piece of legislation so as to delay or entirely prevent a decision being made on the proposal. Um, it's characterised by a form of obstruction. Uh, this form of political obstruction reaches as far back as ancient Roman times. Um, so the Americans didn't invent it? No, they didn't invent it, but they've certainly resurrected it and, and used it. <laughs> Perfected in, it. Yes, and the Republican Party under Newt, Greengr- Newt Gingrich certainly started doing it a lot. Mm. So basically... As part of the debate over a bill, a guy just stands up and keeps talking yeah. and talking and talking. Reads and from the phone book or whatever. And yeah. yeah. So Goyeran, uh, in Western Australia, when they were discussing the surrogacy bill and possibly allowing same-sex couples to access surrogacy, he spoke for 22 hours across several sitting days, uttering 150,000 words and filling more than 200 pages of parliamentary transcript. Mm. It's just... Bullshit disrespect to the process. It is. And that can't happen in the federal parliament, I believe. Correct. So there's a law against filibustering in the federal parliament and I don't know... What the, the speaker sp- can sort of terminate... Yeah. The well, they, they've talk. got a time limit for their speeches. Yeah. 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 Malcolm Turnbull was granted more time to speak on the carbon reduction pollution scheme when he voted for it while the rest of the, rest of the opposition voted against it. Okay. because the government gave him permission to speak, so he was able to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, that's under a stalemate, the surrogacy bill. And I think there was an argument that it was discriminatory because... What is discriminatory? Uh, the surrogacy bill, because oh. women, in order to access surrogacy, would have to show that they had some physical problem that meant they couldn't carry a child whereas same-sex couples didn't have to show that Mm. so that was an argument about discrimination but it was discriminatory against women yeah anyway there we go now they've got the assisted dying legislation coming up and the same christian nutter goyeran is just obviously lining up to do the same thing and he's he's presented hundreds of amendments and is just going to stall and filibuster and delay as much as possible and it's a abuse of our democratic process. Absolutely. So do you think they should um, change the law, the, the, the procedures? Absolutely. To prevent people doing that? Yeah, exactly. Put a time limit on well, any, I think everyone. They should, I think they should say, look, you know, we've got 184 amendments here. Mm. Let's have a show of hands. Mm. And they should move through them one at a time and then once they get all knocked back, then you've got to vote on the next legislation. But mm. to have this bastard up there talking 22 hours on every one of those amendments, yeah. that would be ridiculous. Yeah, and it does seem undemocratic, doesn't it? It's, 
it's a spanner in the democratic work, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. Just back to the surrogacy law. So WA surrogacy laws, these are the proposed ones, require women who want to enter a surrogacy arrangement to have a medical reason for being unable to conceive or give birth to a child. Um, but the bill, So the bill treats gay men more favourably. It must be amended so that it does not clash with the Federal Sex Discrimination Act. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Right, and of course, what does Martin Niles think of euthanasia or of a sister dying? I wouldn't have thought he'd like it very much. Well, he put a Facebook post out and he's quoted as saying, euthanasia is our vain attempt to deny and reject God's plan for suffering. Oh, that one, yes. Yeah. I recall now. Yeah, God's plan for our suffering. Mm. Do you know what that brings to mind? Mother Teresa. Mm. She had a fetish of, for mm. suffering. You know, and apparently I, I read something where she was in a, um, a hospice of sorts in the United States for, I, I believe it was gay sufferers of AIDS, uh, HIV. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy dying and, and she said, you know, he, he, he basically said to her when she said, oh, you know, this is God's plan for you. And he said, you know, well, I don't want God's plan. Basically, I want to. I don't want this pain and this suffering anymore and, uh, you know. Mm. Mm. But she, she was a, f- a suffering fetishist. Mm. She, she had millions of dollars that could have been spent on building proper medical facilities, hiring yes. doctors and nurses and all the medicines they needed. But all she did was build facilities to take people off the streets, yep. give them a bed somewhere else to die. Yes. She had suffer. no intention of saving no, people's terrible, lives. Terrible woman. Or preventing their suffering. Yes. She just wanted she them... Was, Mother Teresa was no Mother Teresa. She just wanted she them was, to die in a, 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 a Catholic religious facility and that was all. She was an evil, evil bitch. Hmm. You know, I've finally got round to reading Christopher Hitchens' The Missionary Position. Oh, good. And that was really a hell of an eye opener. I'd always heard these stories yeah. about her, but then it was presented and you think to yourself, Jesus Christ, this woman was a nut. Mm. Yeah, she was nutty. She was a religious nutbag, yeah. for sure. Our own Deep Throat had a good report on her. Oh. Yeah. Well done, Deep Throat. Mm. Where basically penicillin was as cheap as chips. He was in India at the time and she was refusing to buy it. Yes, because it might keep people alive. Well, yeah, people get Keep them from heaven. Yeah, indeed. Right. Um, Now, I'm going to try something if you're in the chat room. Uh, I'm thinking of a bit of a lucky dip in terms of Skype. If somebody in the chat room would like to Skype us and join the conversation later on, um, send me a – just say something in the chat room and, I'll, and then I'll talk about it. But maybe nobody wants to. But if you've been listening to us and you're thinking about something we're saying tonight or something we've said previously, I'm, like, I'm keen to sort of do a lucky dip Skype call and see what happens. Well, they might point. be offended by something we've said about Mother Teresa yeah, or maybe. something like So that. anyway, <laughs> if, if you're interested, uh, indicate in the chat room and I'll then try and work out how I'm going to get you on. So to Skype away at the end here. So, all right. Now, last week we were talking about Chinese influence in Australian universities. Good discussion. Well, it's good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And I thought to myself, I better watch this Four Corners mm-hmm. program. And you know what? There's probably something really in there that uh, I just wasn't aware of because you're also very, you know, convinced by the by what was in that report as as being sort of something I really needed to know because it was clear that there's a problem in the universities. 
And I thought, you know what, this will be good. I'll watch the report, the Four Corners report, and what I'll do is I'll say, I've, I've seen the report, now I'm informed about stuff I didn't know. Fair enough, I've changed my mind. Isn't it, great? Isn't it great that we can change our minds? Yeah. Like, seriously, that was honestly my intention. That was your that pure was, as the driven snow it, thought. It seriously was. I was actually wanting to use it as a demonstration that it's a good thing that we can change our mind and we shouldn't be stuck in a, in a, I would in a rut. I take that as a sign of progress, Scott. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But you, can, you know what his conclusion was, don't you? <laughs> so, so that's what I wanted. I honestly went at it thinking, yeah, okay, facts I didn't know. Well done. I agree with you. Because... I've got no dog in the fight. Like, I really don't... It, don't care either It doesn't way. matter to me. I, you know, I, life goes on for me one way or another. It doesn't matter. So I was just yeah. really wanted to demonstrate change of opinion can happen. So I watched the Four Corners program, and uh, which was titled Red Flags. So, dear listener, go into ABC iView and watch it yourself. And um, I was not convinced. So here's my thoughts on the... Four Corners program. So it started off about a cyber attack on the ANU mm -hmm. and that was not um, indicated to be anything to do with the Confucius Institute. It was just no, no, a cyber attack which no. was coming from probably China and That's what they, they accessed the database and that was sort of the first 20 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. And, well, okay, China's attacked. but There'd be cyber attacks done all the time by uh, countries all over the world trying to... Probably on a daily get, basis. Yeah, so nothing unusual there, mm. right? Um, the University of Sydney student president is Chinese and they introduced who he was, but they also said what percentage of the university students were Chinese. So it wasn't um, unusual that a Chinese... Well, it's unusual because it's the first time, but mm. when you look at the mere population numbers of Chinese it's students. significant, isn't it? Then there's a huge number of Chinese students mm. at, at um, the University of Sydney. So it's just All not over surprising, Australia, right? just not surprising yeah. that they eventually elected a Chinese no. um, um, uh, president of the student union. And, of course, he seems to have contacts with Chinese Communist Party, it seems, or he's seen in footage and other stuff and mm. could have. So nothing surprising there, like... And nothing you could say, don't want that to happen, you're not going to stop it. So that was sort of the first half of it. Um, it had the student protests with Hong Kong and the Chinese mainland At students. UQ. Yes, protesting. And there was no evidence given that the, the pro-Chinese protesters were organised by the Confucius Society. Clearly they may have been organised by you know, the Chinese government probably were to some extent. But I put it to you that this is a very proud race of people who feel that they have been um, embarrassed over the last mm. century of, of domination by Western forces. Mm. And they're so indoctrinated now that your average Chinese student from the mainland is quite likely to have a very pro-Chinese view, a very Absolutely. patriotic view, and doesn't need any encouragement um, by the government to attend a rally and be pro-Chinese. Like, that's, that protest could happen easily without a Confucius Institute on the, prem, on the university campus. So... I agree with you. Yep. Absolutely, I agree with you. So, so now we're about sort of 
two thirds of the way through the program here. Mm. So, um, uh, then it got onto the Confucius Institute, and I thought, right, this is going to be something where, like, the Confucius Institute is deciding the curriculum and it's deciding who the teachers are and it's lobbed this program into the university and and the universities have rolled over and accepted it, which I thought was what it was going to say, something like that. And I thought, well, this sounds like the Ramsey Institute. So, you know, we've been talking about the Ramsey oh. Institute for Western liberal democracies and I've criticised the Ramsey Institute because... On the basis of? Well, they want to decide what the curriculum is and decide who the teachers are. I've and, seen the and, curriculum. And, and to control the, the content and the delivery. That's what the Ramsey group under John Howard and... Yeah. Pete have you and, seen the curriculum? No. I have. Right. It looks very eminently good to okay. me. But the problem is universities need to decide what the curriculum is and they need to decide who the staff is. You'd think. So the whole problem with the Ramsey Centre for Western Civilisation was that they were wanting to drop their, their entire content and course and people in a university and mm. get the, uh, you know, university degree name attached to it, yeah. but basically not let the university have much control. Mm. And that's the problem and why a number of universities said, no, yeah. you, you can't. And that's understandable. Yeah. So I thought, okay, the Confucius Institute is going to be something like what the Ramsey Institute wants to be. But no, it's, it's designed by the UQ and it's governed by UQ and I'm sure, the Confucius, I'm sure the Confucius Institute... Well, according to the... Um, uh, the Vice-Chancellor, the Confucius Institute does not design the course or deliver the course. Which course are you talking about, though? A Confucius course, I think it was a, uh, a third-year economic subject in okay. the... In the um, like which is sponsored... Chinese economics? Like. Yes, which is basically looking at... Um, it obviously has a, a, a look at how China works in terms of economics mm. in the world. Yeah. So... Uh, sponsored by the Confucius Centre in the sense that they're providing money, but the UQ designs the course and runs the subject. Yeah, so, yeah. fair enough, I reckon. Yeah. Like, that's all good. So, basically then, the rest of the program had um, a bunch of speakers who were interviewed. So, Dan Tian, Education Minister... Mr. Geography. That's yeah. it. That, that's it. Um, uh, so he comes out and says, well, can't trust the Chinese. It's terrible what's going on. We need to, you know, mm. watch these guys because, well, of course he's going to say that. Yeah. So he can't pay any attention to him. Fair enough. As like, if we do anyway. Exactly. So then there was a guy, Ross Babbage, who on the, uh, as his name comes up, it's just, he's described as senior security advisor for the Australian government. Yeah. And he talks about the dangers of, of Chinese infiltration into Australian universities, right? Mm. You Google his name and he works for the Centre for Strategic and Budgetary Assessments, which is a think tank which is funded by unspecified US Defence Department agencies and corporations and focuses on US defence and budgetary policy. So it's a very pro-USA, funded by mm. defence corporations. Yeah. Of course he's going to say 
China's the bogeyman. Yeah. We need to watch these guys. We need to be. Yeah. But look, I've, I've been following this story for several months, Trevor, and yeah. not just the Four Corners program. Yeah. There have been a, a series of articles I, I, on the ABC and elsewhere. Yeah. And they paint a pretty disturbing picture uh, of okay. the Confucius Institute not running programs on Chinese economics, but Chinese language. And yeah. they, they do actually apparently have, have a say in selecting the teachers. No, they don't. So Are you sure? Who, who, when you were watching this, did you ever Google who's that person speaking? Like when you're watching this program, you say oh, you've I seen see. like and, you and see some, the name and come some up. expert yeah. comes up and says that they're from the uh, yeah, Australian some, Cyber Security Centre. Sometimes or I do. Do you? Sometimes. Okay. Well, because I had the time, because I was going into this argument, <laughs> I thought I'm just going to Google these names, right? So then there was still on this Four Corners Very report. Very strategic of you, Alistair McGibbon. Um, we heard from him, former head of Australian Cyber Security Centre. It's an Australian government intergovernmental and interagency hub. It's basically the love child of the Australian Signals Directorate and, the, and ASIO. What's wrong with that? Well, the point... They are responsible for uh, our protection. Uh, of course. But, of course, somebody in the Defence Force or in ASIO is going to say, we've got big problems, we need to watch these guys. They're hardly going to say, nothing to see here. Because their job is to go, there are problems and you need us. So... And what I'm saying is these people have agendas and you need to know what their agenda is. Oh, he works for a military... He's funded by a military armaments company. He's mm. got an agenda. Mm. He works for ASIO. He's got an agenda. I think that's a bit cynical to say ASIO has an agenda. Well, they have a job to do and their job is to protect the country. But they're hardly going to come out and say, you don't need us. Well, they might about New Zealand. <laughs> you know, if someone was saying, hey, New Zealand's trying to set up a, um, you know, a New Zealand Institute or, the, you know, the, I don't know, the, the Long White Cloud Institute <laughs> at the University of Queensland and we should look into it, they would probably say, oh, look, you know, New Zealand, nothing to worry about there. I'll keep going. Clive Hamilton was on. He's an independent anti-China commentator. Okay. He's a well-known commentator. Clive Hamilton. Anti- yes. Uh, he wrote was, a book. There was a... He did. Some sort of invasion, wasn't it? And there was a guy from the Ford Foundation who's kind mm. of a leftish organisation, but he was the least critical. He was basically just saying, oh, the research that we're collaborating with is sending us into areas that maybe we don't want to be looking into. So we're kind of doing... Chinese research that maybe we don't want to be doing. So he was yeah. the least critical like of the Like defence-related research. Or surveillance-type stuff <clears throat> or facial yeah. recognition exactly. stuff. Yeah. And that's and he been was saying, mentioned a number of times. He, well, he was saying, we Australians may not want to be doing that research, but because we're collaborating with Chinese, we're doing that research and maybe we don't want to. Well, maybe we're assisting but, them. But maybe... To progress their technologies. In, indeed, but... We collaborate with people all the time. Mm. So, you know, one of the arguments was that there was this Chinese <clears throat> lecturer who had come to Australia, been at UQ, studied in relation to surveillance and facial recognition, mm. and then he went back to China and started working for the government in their facial recognition section. Yeah. And it was like, well, 
Big Isn't surprise. that terrible? Yeah. Well, what you know, what can the university do? Of course, people are going to come and go, mm. and if he goes and back to China and works on that, mm. at least we in Australia know what he was working on, and we have some idea of what he was capable mm. of. Mm. Plus, there'd be thousands of Chinese who come and work for private companies who gain expertise in areas yeah. and then go back to China that we sure. never hear of. But there like, is a so, difference between gaining expertise in, uh, in certain uh, technologies and gaining expertise in technologies that the Chinese government uses to intimidate and oppress its own citizens. And surely we don't want to be a party to that, do we? I'll keep going. So there was also two commentators who had a lot of time, which was Alex Josky and Dr Samantha Hoffman. And they're both from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Mm. Who's that? Who's the Australian Strategic Policy Institute? They are a think, a think tank. tank. Yeah, that's. Um, but probably been they're Australian, so they're they're working yeah. our interest, Trevor, aren't they? They're certainly not working in America's interest. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the ASPI is based in Canberra, and it's dependent on the Department of Defence and Defence Supplier Funding. So it's an enthusiastic supporter of the military-industrial complex. It's not some independent think tank. It's, it's funded by the Department of Defence and by defence suppliers. So these people are hardly going to say, nothing to see here, the Chinese are great. Like, it's, it's obviously in their interest to paint a picture that China's the bad guy. It may well be, but mm. that's not to say that they're necessarily lying or making things up. They may well be telling us what we need to know, Trevor. Mm. So, uh, Michael West's blog, we like him, Michael West. Mm. He's a reliable journalist, investigative journalist. So... Um, Agents of influence, presumably Chinese, are in the news, but the really important agents of influence are organisations linked hip-to-hip to to the US and its military-industrial complex. One of these is the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, which is an enthusiastic supporter of almost all things American while pretending to be an independent think tank. That was his assessment of them. Mm. And I've got a link to an article by John Menadou, which basically says the same thing, that you've got... Uh, these um, Defence Department and suppliers who are very pro-American, who have basically dominated policy and, and really my conclusion from the whole thing is that on its face, the Four Corners program was about uh, surreptitious infiltration of our university by the Chinese Communist Party doing subversive stuff to influence us. But the, the actual piece was a demonstration of, of the military-industrial complex and its subversive influence on us in, in the way that that program was presented because basically... Not uh, the majority of those, the vast majority of those speakers all had agendas, which meant that they were all going to say something very anti-Chinese and pro-American, and and look out, everybody, we need to spend money on this. So, I would like to have agreed with you. I wanted to, but I basically looked at it and I said, oh, it's just it. It looks like such a beat up by people who have a a 
a, an agenda, a bi- an agenda mm. to want to beat up. Yeah. Look, so I- are you saying that the Four Corners program has been overtaken by those who are subscribing to an American beat-up, are you? I'm saying that that reporter and producer who produced that program um, had an excessive number of right-wing commentators, pro-US, uh, anti-Chinese commentators, and none of that inherent bias was explained. Sure, their, their names and who they worked for were listed, but it didn't actually say... Oh, by the way, here's an inherent bias that this person's likely to have. You've got to figure that out for yourself. So I thought it was quite misleading in that you see these people who are so-called experts all saying, look out, bogeyman, but it, you have an entirely different view of it when you realise their underlying motivations. That was my impression from mm. Okay, I think you need to read a little bit more widely <laughs> on the topic, to be honest. <laughs> Where's Archie? I, <laughs> I, I, I need to. I mean, it's just uh, one but, program, isn't it? No, let's, let's be fair. It's I know, just but it's one the program, program we were talking about. Yeah, it is. It's the program and, we were and, talking about, and, but I just think you've, got to, I think you've got to take a step back. You've got to look at it and you could say, this is something that is funded by the Chinese Communist Party that is being set up on the, the grounds of universities in Australia. Hmm. That is the big problem with it. Now, I take your point about freedom of speech and all that sort of thing, but it's not freedom of speech when it's coming from propaganda from a government. But I think what Trevor's suggesting is it's just blatant anti-Chinese propaganda for, to serve what, what, the... What Four Corners from, is To serve saying, the interests yeah, of the American military-industrial complex, right? And it was an example of how, how their influence on us mm. is, is unseen unless somebody and stupidly takes... On. And unless somebody stupidly mm. takes the time mm. to actually look up all this stuff and go, oh, hang on a minute, what's well, that's different yeah. now that I understand all that. Yeah. Look, I see the so. Four Corners piece as just one, one little piece of a very big picture. And I've been reading on this. Well, as, as you know, I studied Chinese history and politics at university some years mm. ago. So I have a pretty keen interest in China. Mm. And so I, I, I look at that Four Corners program um, from... You know, with the eyes of a person who has studied a little bit more deeply about the country than the average punter. Mm. And I see very sinister uh, hands at work, I have mm. to say. Mm. I think I've been reading a bit more than the average punter as well. Yeah. So coming to a different conclusion. Yeah. Look, mm. the Chinese Communist Party are uh, power, power intoxicated dictators mm. you know they i mean people bandy the word fascist around they are fascists they, they're fascists, yeah. and i don't like them right. and i think the chinese people would be a lot better off without them okay wheat watcher has said if no one's putting their hand up to come on give me a bell on skype so wheat watcher um here's what we're going to do wheat watcher if you've got your skype then if you go onto the ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and you look at the um, icons down the bottom of the home page, you'll see a Skype icon there, Wheat Watcher. And if you click on the Skype icon, hopefully that will mean a call will come through to us and we'll see how it goes. So give it a go, Wheat Watcher. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, send us a message. But we'll try that. So 
Okay. While you're doing that, I'll keep talking. Next about, topic. About something else. Do we have another and, topic? Um, Stephen Pinker's here. Well, yeah. Okay. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so regular listeners would know I've got a thing about Stephen Pinker. Yeah, an irrational uh, antipathy to Stephen Pinker. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I can understand it. Really? So, yeah. Stephen, Stephen Pinker's... On what basis? He's just a little bit of a nutbag. No, he isn't. He's, he's an Enlightenment liberal. He's a classic Enlightenment liberal. That's, that's what he is. That's I where he comes I from. I haven't read his book or anything like that. But, you know, what I have read of him, I just think to myself, he's a nutter. A nutter? Are you yeah. serious? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard him speak? No. Oh, he speaks really lucidly and eloquently. He's no way a nutter. He's a nutter. Oh, come on. <laughs> he's, he's, Gosh. He, anyway, he's like Jordan Peterson. Oh, no. He's totally not like Jordan Peterson. I would have thought they're both from the same mould. Not they, at all, yeah. Scott. No, yeah. seriously, you yeah. need to re examine your assumptions on that. He's nothing like no, Jordan he, Peterson. He can't be trusted. Oh, Jesus he, Christ. He, he can't be trusted. <laughs> he, he cannot be trusted. So, oh, God. not only does he paint a picture, he's like he's. So the Jordan, so the um, Stephen Pinker stick is, what's everyone complaining about? The world is a much better place than it was uh, 50 years ago. Oh, there we go. Right. Andrew, you there? Hello. Great. Oh, good on you. This is fantastic. Good Andrew. <laughs> How are you? Yeah. Hey, uh, now let me just, uh, let me just see. Can you see us? Great. And. Uh, yep. And let me just see if I can get a different screenshot, which might... You're okay for me to put your picture up on the screen? Uh, or yeah, not? I'm pretty ugly, but... Yeah, I'll try, I'm going to try it. So, um, uh, you're you not go. as ugly as me, man. Oh, look, this this has worked beautifully. I cannot believe it. There we go. You're you're with us, Wheat Watcher. So, um, mate, why the, why, the, uh, why the title Wheat Watcher, by the way? Because you, you're in Western Australia and you've got a wheat farm or something? Is that right or not? No, no, no. I, uh, I work as an analyst uh, analyzing wheat markets. Right. So okay. Pretty, well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what do we need to know about the wheat market at the moment? Is there, is there anything that you know, our listeners should know about the wheat market that, that, that's vital for us? No. It's a drought. That's right. all we know. Okay. And we don't have much of it. Don't have much of it. Plenty of it everywhere else in the world, but not here. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And um, so you said you studied with some Chinese students back in Scotland, and it was interesting to see how anti-Japanese they were. Yeah, well, I studied back. I studied IT 20-odd years ago in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were sat around looking at a computer with them. They were on some Chinese forum. Yeah. And they asked, what is that symbol there? And they said, oh, this means we hate Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it was pretty, pretty blatant how... Uh, how much they hated the Japanese, and we got talking to them, and we were pretty surprised. Yeah. By we were pretty uneducated on that sort of mm. geopolitics at that time. And was that was because of the, the military atrocities that had been committed in their village? Yeah, they used to talk about Nanjing all the time. Yeah. The rape of Nanjing, and yeah, was, yeah. So, but you're talking; these were kids who were 17 in 2004. 
Yep. So it's a long time since Nanjing. Yeah, but no, I've, I've, because I've had the memories some, are still there. I've had different uh, Chinese homestay students stay here, and one in particular was very uh, anti-Japanese because um, of that exact reason, and his his hometown. I don't know whose grandparents or whatever it would have been their time, but oh. very anti-Japanese. Yeah, well, there were there were, there was a litany of horrors perpetrated by the Japanese military in China. There's no doubt about that. They yes. they did appalling things, and I saw a very interesting uh, documentary uh, which interviewed some Japanese war veterans who served in China. You know, very old men. It, mm. the, the doco was probably made several decades ago, but it, it interviewed them before they passed on. And, you know, they were saying they did awful things and they were deeply, deeply ashamed. And the reason they agreed to appear in the doco was they wanted, you know, the younger generations of Japanese to be just aware of what happened so that they could understand it a lot better. Okay, because one of the things about the Japanese as a society is that they haven't really owned up to their role in the Second World War in the same way that, say, the Germans did. True, yeah. So... Uh, and if you, if you read to... history books or whatever in Japanese schools, then they kind of whitewash their involvement and downplay it, whereas the Germans have more or less embraced yeah. it and said, really, sorry. Whitewash is perhaps going mm. a bit too far, but they've certainly tried to tone mm. it down a lot, particularly mm. for the younger generation. So that, mm. And the reason given, and the po Japanese politicians are quite open, they say they don't want their younger generations to grow up burdened with shame you know mm. so we watch anything you want to disagree with what we've said over time or um any thoughts on ch chinese students um in universities or uh any theories that either any of us have propounded that you think is a load of shit and <laughs> can't believe we're saying it <laughs> a few weeks ago you were talking about north korea yes 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 and about <laughs> I don't want another hour-long episode of that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I went to North Korea probably five years ago. Really? Wow! And I would say that South Korea would be a an icon of uh, prosperity compared to North Korea. Mm. Like Ooh. we spent a lot of time with a whole bunch of people who were probably the elites. Yeah, and spoke extremely good English. But they were completely indoctrinated on everything. Of course. And it was, and it was interesting because we were there for a week and a week and a bit, and at times you felt like you hated the Americans uh, because we were on the you were getting week. so much indoctrination. Yeah, it was just right. propaganda everywhere. So you started and hating the Americans, you mean? Yeah, because you, you, you found after a week you're already starting to think, bloody hell, these Americans were bastards. <laughs> Can I get a 12th man a ticket to North Korea for a little while? Just would, to, you, to, would you pay for my fare? None of my indoctrinations <laughs> working. I'd go if you paid my fare. You'd wow. end up arrested if you went. <laughs> well, that, that, I might. It yeah. sounds to me like it'd be very unusual to actually get in. Like, Was it to do with your... Your no, there's a regular, no, no, there's a regular no, no. tourist there's trade. A, oh, okay, there's a tourist trade there. Yeah. Oh, okay, and uh, we just went as a bit of a look and see, and yeah, it was interesting, but yeah. it was very, it was like a theme park. Yeah, mm. look, none it's of us communist Disneyland. 
none of us were saying that it's, it's a great situation in North Korea. We were just arguing about how it got into that position in the first place. So weren't you we're, arguing that it would have been, it, it might have turned out like South Korea if the Americans hadn't intervened? Uh, who knows where it could have ended up if, the, if they'd have been allowed to... To develop peacefully. To, to just, mm. to, you know, trade with the world. Mm. Yeah. I've got so. a feeling that whole peninsula would have been like North Korea. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you, Wheat Watcher, on that one. Mm. Although I have got a book somewhere right. from it, it, King it, Il-sung right. of, uh, yes, the... Uh, right. The Management of the Socialist Economy by Kim Il-sung. Yes. And uh, if you read that, it would have been a disaster. Yes. <laughs> it, it could have been like China today. Well, it, it, would it would have been like China prior to the death of Mao, you know, the centrally planned economy. And as we all know from history, so, centrally planned economies don't work out that well for the common people. Yeah, and mm. they would could have had a rev- they could have had a revolution, and they could have ended up, you know, with a new government and happy days. We just don't know. So, <clears throat> yeah, so we can make educated guesses. Fist. Yeah, yeah. At some stage, also, we need to talk about the Spanish the Spanish Civil War because really? I was just wondering whether that was a civil war or not. But that that's for another time. So the Spanish yeah. Civil War was a civil war. It was it? a yeah. brutal civil war. Yeah, mm. yeah, we'll get onto that another time. So. My, it, my great-grandfather fought in the Spanish Civil War. Oh, good. Well, really interesting. What's his, what as, was as, his... as a mercenary. Right. Yeah. Uh, On the side of the Republicans, of course. But it was a, it was a shocking Civil War. Yes. yes. But it, it met all the requirements of a Civil War. Yeah. Yes, because it was one group of people fighting against another group of people from the same country. Correct. But in the case of... a couple of, of mercenaries. Yeah. And, but in the case of Korea... That was the case, but Scott said that because it involved world foreigners, foreign powers taking sides, no, that, what I that said meant was, it wasn't a civil war. No, what I said was the division of the country happened by the United Nations. They divided the country into two. It was an artificial border that was drawn across the 38th parallel. Therefore, you could remove the argument that it was a civil war, it was the invasion by one sovereign nation into another sovereign nation. That's why it wasn't a civil war. Okay. Okay. Mm. What else have we said that you want to argue with Wheat Watcher or anything that you've enjoyed? No, it's a good good podcast. It's enjoyable. Yep. A lot of balance. Yep. Um, (laughs) You've got your own podcast or not? Is that right? Yeah, I've got a, if you're really interested in agricultural market updates. Yes. Podcast on agricultural market updates. Yeah. What's it yeah. called anyway? We might be able to plug it for yeah. you. Yeah. What, oh what is God. Commodity conversations. Commodity conversations. And do you have beer sponsors? Uh, <laughs> unfortunately not. Oh. All right. All right. We haven't reached the same uh, pinnacle as, as you guys. Yeah. Have you got any thoughts on Stephen Pinker at all? No. No. Okay. <laughs> so I've got a thing about Stephen Pinker. And so just going back to um, my Stephen Pinker argument. So at Friday I was at a breakfast with some people and there was a guy there who I hadn't met before and we were, we were actually waiting for a funeral to go, to go to. So we were killing time and discussion started and 
he had worked in a lot of developing countries, sort of with NGOs and stuff, I think. And anyway, he basically, in part of that, said, you know, really things are going quite well. I mean, if you read like Steven Pinker, you know, people have been pulled out of poverty and all the rest of it. And I said, please stop right there. If you're going to talk about Stephen Pinker, we, you know, he's overstated the case. So we had a bit of an argument. And then only a day later was friend of the program posted something on our little private group and it was an article and it was kind of a pessimistic article and I thought wow this is great finally was has posted something a little bit pessimistic a little bit sort of watch out and but then about a third of the way through it it then referred to Stephen Pinker and waxed on lyrical about Stephen Pinker and I was like okay that's it I'm going to have to do a thing on Stephen Pinker and oh, also because there was an article in the Rationalist Society newsletter. So, Wheat Watcher, do you subscribe to the Rationalist Society newsletter or anything like that? No, but Stephen, Stephen Pigner, he just seems like a bit like a low-grade Jordan Peterson, and that's sort of saying something, uh, in a way. Yeah. You know? um, it, it Sorry, can't, in read his case, books they, they can't be that, They can't yeah. be trusted. But oh. anyway, let me give you an example. Just give you an example of, of why he can't be trusted. So... Trusted. He's just yeah. a university lecturer, you know. I mean, he writes books. He doesn't wield yeah. political power. So in this article in the Rationalist Society newsletter, so in it he says, um, is the statement we are living in a post-truth world true? If your answer is yes, then the answer is no, because you've just evaluated the statement in an evidentiary manner. So evidence is still Evidence still matters and facts still matter. But that's bullshit to say, oh, if one man in the world is operating uh, with truth and evidence, then the world's not post-truth. Like, it was complete crap to say, are we living in a post-truth world? Um, if your answer is yes, then the answer is no. What, the whole point if somebody says we're in a post-truth world is that the majority of our news or there's a significant post-truth element in our world, it doesn't mean 100% of everybody on the planet is operating post-truth. Mm. So that was, that's it, a really weak argument, but I'll go on. Well, it's hyperbole, but it, it, it is he, hyperbole. he's making a point, isn't he? But that's a really poor point for an academic to make, to say that it's not a post-truth world because you're not post-truth. So the world's not post-truth. That's essentially what he was saying. I'll go on. So likewise, he said, it's not the case that humans are irrational. Consider the statement, humans are irrational. Is that statement rational? If it is, it cannot be true, at least if it is uttered and understood by humans. And again, it was a case of, well, um, it was a sort of a straw man because nobody's saying everybody is irrational, but you can say human beings, more than we think, act irrationally. Mm. And just because one person acts rationally doesn't mean that humans are not irrational. Like, it was a really weak argument, but I'll go on. Um, he said here, and the belief that fake news is displacing the truth itself needs to be examined for its truth. In their analysis of fake news in the 2016 American presidential election, Andrew Guess, Brendan Nyhan and Jason Reifler found that it took up a minuscule proportion of the online communications, far less than 1%. It was mainly directed at partisans who were impervious to persuasion. Mm. This is hardly surprising. So what's he saying? That 
there was a study by these three guys which found that fake news took up a minuscule proportion of online communications, far less than 1%. Right? I guess they're probably right. So, uh, yeah, according to Pinker... Of, 1% of all those online communications in the United States is a hell of a lot of people. It's a, it's a lot of material, but overall, the big, in the big picture, it's not affecting the majority of people. So, according to Pinker, no problem with fake news. But the study had an important limitation. It only looked at Facebook users who actually clicked on the fake news links. So if you didn't actually click on it, you weren't counted in that. And so... Well, if you didn't click it, on it, you didn't read it. it well, no, you can read um, excerpts. It implies that people who didn't click on the stories were not persuaded by them. But you don't know that because people might even share stories without reading them. Like, you know yourself that people don't click on stories on the Secular Party Facebook page. Very rarely do they read them, but they'll comment. Yeah. Because they'll read the excerpt. Yeah. So, so basically, it's a, it was a, um, an exaggeration and it left out a vital part of the study. Mm. Um, so um, the authors themselves said that they never claimed it showed anything about impact. Now, quote, our study is very clear that do we, we do not measure how much fake news affected an individual's opinion about the election or whether fake news affected the outcome of the election. So they downplayed their study. It only referred to people who actually clicked on the link. So the, the statement by Pinker is really misleading. So it's, and he does it all the time. So he's not to be trusted. You cannot When you trust say he does it all the time, you're the person who admits you haven't read any of his books. I've read articles, and I've read articles that say, Pinker said this, quote... And that's BS because the actual facts are this. So I've read lots of critique of Stephen Pinker, which has basically picked apart his articles and his books mm. where it's quoted what he's said. Mm. Like you could read the Bible and think, oh, that's, you know, that's all good. But if you actually read a book that's critical of the mm. Bible, yeah. exposing <laughs> the inconsistencies yeah. and the rubbish in it, you actually learn more than you do by reading the book. Well, but having said that... I will now commit to reading Stephen Pinker's book and come back later and, and give a full exposition. You have our the, admiration for your open-mindedness. And I, and I said that and I was criticised by, <laughs> by you guys like, oh, well, how's that going to be fair? Because you're clearly coming at it with an unbiased view. And my answer is, yes, it'll be an unbiased yeah. view. Look, but I will be talking about the facts and you can then make up I, your own mind whether my bias, right. whether, whether I've made a good case yeah, yeah. Based, based on the argument. I just do you, you want know, all three of us to read it. We can come back with it. Do, do you know what I wonder, says. Trevor? I just oh, wonder what oh, what is the oh. genesis of your anti Stephen Pinker bias? Because he's dangerous. He's because dangerous. because he's he is saying writer. he is saying the world is fine. Nothing to worry no, about he's here. Not saying he that. is saying no, that. He isn't. He, it's a consistent thread. That is the Stephen Pinker stick. He's not saying there's nothing to worry he, about. He, You're exaggerating. Well, he's saying it's better than the pessimists want us to think. You know, I mean, we've got saying, Extinction Rebellion and these lunatics telling us that the earth is going, you know, to hell in a handbasket in the next five years. But people aren't saying that. They are. No, they're not. Some Just of them because are. one or two crackpots says it. That doesn't mean that people... That's a straw man fallacy. That's picking 
a really poor argument that people aren't saying and then just knocking it down. That's not what's happening. Well, some of them are saying that. Oh, a, a very minor... You'll, you'll get... Yeah, but, but, Stephen, but the majority ne- of people are not saying that. Neither is Stephen people, Pinker saying everything's fine, nothing to worry what, about. What, That's what, a, a no, total... No, but his stick is... Misrepresentation no, of what not. he's saying. No, it's not. His stick is... OK, his stick is this. Um, things are way, way better than what the pessimists are saying. Yes. And... And what people are worrying far too yeah. much for about what's happening. And did you just say, Wheat Watcher, that's true? <laughs> he well, did. It probably well, is true. Be, being, being the optimist. Yes. The optimist <laughs> and, and the only millennial here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at least you're not a baby boomer. <laughs> so if you look, it depends on, it's, it's, it's relative on whether society is good or not. If you look at most of the metrics, starvation, nutrition is better than it's been in society. Yeah. Birth rates uh, and pregnancy, deaths per, per, pre, deaths per thousand pregnancies is at its lowest level of all time. Education levels, literacy levels, they're all at pretty high levels. So we've probably got the highest standard of living in human history. And that's, that's what Stephen Pinker says. Uh, and that's what I'll deal with when... You I'm just hate saying, optimists, don't no, you, Fitz? No, no I, I, I don't hate optimists. I hate bullshitters. No, I, I hate, hate ScoMo for being a bullshitter. I hate people who try and bullshit me. And Pinker is a bullshitter. That's what I hate. I hate people trying to pull the wool over my eyes. Well, and I hate people that try and pull the wool over my eyes too. But I don't think that... Um, I agree Stephen Pinker's a nutter. Oh, but I don't think that um, I don't think that you can criticise his optimism because he is optimistic for a very good reason. You know, he has said that we have pulled hundreds, hundreds of millions of people out of poverty, or billions of people out of poverty over the last twenty or thirty years. And his representation of those poverty statistics is is a misrepresentation. So is that the basis of your problem? That that, that will be th- part that of the that data will... he uses is. Faulty, or he misrepresents the data. A misrepresentation, okay. representation of the well, data. That, I mean, yes. that's that's a fair criticism if it's true. In just like what I was talking about before with his misrepresentation of that study. Mm. The, the other thing was it was only people who were looking at Facebook on a desktop computer. So again, your experience made by Apple. <laughs> your experience of of whether you click on a link mm. as well and how you react to Facebook is completely different when you're on a desktop as opposed to when you are um, on, a you know, on a mobile phone waiting for your coffee to be poured by the barista. Like, there was a whole host of things that made it a very misleading study to hang your hat on. So he's, he does it all the time. There we go. We'll there's, see. There's my thinker thing. So, right. Yeah. And here into the rant. <laughs> there, there, there we go. So Cheer up, Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, actually, I, I actually enjoy the... Um, well, it'd be boring if everybody was just agreeing all the time, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, you guys over there in West Australia, are, you've got the, it too the, good over there. That's well, your problem. I'm, a, you, you're, I'm in Victoria. I, are you? Why was I thinking you're in Western Australia? Sorry, you're in Victoria. You're going okay. You've got Dan Andrews down there. So, yeah. So, what do you think of Dan Andrews? Yeah. Sweet, watch it. Yeah. Uh, I actually think he's reasonably good. I think uh, it was probably a bad decision. Some of the uh, the East. East-West link that they cancelled, which was a bit of a bad one. Mm. But I think Victoria, coming as an outsider from Scotland, Victoria is a fucking basket case of a state. 
Seriously, what? why? Why's that? Ah, oh, just all the bloody protests all the time, and I know you guys are pro protests. A few of you pro free speech rather than you know pro anarchical protest. But it just seems to me that I agree with you and Trevor at one point in the pessimism of the Australian government, in that there just tends to be too many layers of government, especially in Victoria. Absolutely, I would agree wholeheartedly with you. If you were, if you were talking about abolishing state governments, I'm right with you, brother. You know, they've got to go. And uh, in the I UK, think... you have two levels. Is that right? No, they've got three levels now because you've three got levels. you've got Scottish. You've got the the main oh, government in Westminster. Yeah. Then you've got the Welsh Assembly, oh, the Scottish Assembly, yeah. the Northern Ireland Assembly, and then local government. And then they've got local government mm. as well. But they don't have a they don't have a English Assembly. No. no. So we've got the, the UK Parliament, the Scottish Parliament, mm. the European Parliament for, for now, and local councils. Mm. And do your friends and family back in Scotland have any firm views on Brexit? Ah, oh, God. Uh, all of these things, Brexit and Scottish independence, I'm pretty glad I live 20,000 kilometres away. <laughs> <laughs> Do they talk about it? Is it a conversation that you have with them or do they not talk they, about it because they get into too many arguments with people? It causes a lot of arguments. Yep. Like it's especially the Scottish independence one. Mm. The Scottish independence one left people in my family not talking to other members of the family. Oh, really? And what's your view on Scottish independence? We'd watch out. Uh, I think it would be economic suicide. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm Scottish, but... At the end of the day, I don't feel any different from somebody who is 20 kilometres away on a, over an imaginary border. Mm. We're all the bloody same. Yeah. So I don't see Scottish independence as being that much different from Brexit, really. Mm. And when we're talking about the Chinese students who don't like Japanese students, about events from 50 years ago, yeah. we've got people in Scotland who have pissed off ago. events from 800 years ago. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? So when you say it's a, it's a kind of tribalism, isn't it? So when you say a financial disaster, like Scotland's got lots of access to oil or not in the North Sea? No? Yeah, so the, the projections were that prior to the referendum that they would get $20 billion in revenue from oil yep. over this current period of time. And they're currently at something like $400 million. Ah, so they don't have because, that much oil. Because the oil price is crushed. Ah, oh, right. Okay. But if the and UK... If the if uh, the UK left, then it might be economically a good idea for Scotland to break away from the rest of the UK and rejoin the EU. Like that could be economically a better thing to do. They still need things to sell, though, don't they? Even yeah. if well, it, it could it could be a sound a sound avenue because you can obviously get around tariffs potentially, yeah. but it requires a hard border. Right which is an issue. Yep. But the other thing as well is Scotland doesn't have a strong enough economy to meet the requirements of EU entry. Ah, uh, okay, right. So yeah. you would require to cut your spending by huge percentages. Right. So unless the EU is able to give a dispensation to uh, Scotland, okay. Scotland get in. could become another Greece. Uh, so Scotland doesn't have the... Okay, Just doesn't, colder. ...doesn't have the financial credibility... Because and the financial houses are all in London where a lot of money's made. Is that 
how yeah, but is, I mean, is that why Scotland's sort of one of the things that I've found very interesting over this whole Brexit debacle is they're talking about you've already got the financial houses in London scoping out real estate in Dublin and also and then there's even more there's even talk if Scotland did move away and became part of the EU then they'd be looking at stuff in Edinburgh so anyway we've already got we, for a long time prior to 2008 a lot of the financial institutes were in Edinburgh anyway mm. Mm. up until we fucked yeah. them all up R- right <laughs> well the bank of scotland was mm. the biggest corporation on the planet at one point royal bank of scotland yeah yep. yes yeah yeah so yeah it it was on it paper was, uh, it, it expanded uh, beyond its uh, ambitions yes and uh, was one of the major reasons of the GFC impact in the UK. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Right. Mm. Well, gentlemen, we've probably come to the end of the road on on our mm-hmm. topics, I think. Absolutely. So, actually, a quick uh, call out. Thank you, Anne, who's joined as a patron for the generous donation. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. Uh, thank you to all the patrons. I'll quickly read them out. Sean, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon, Wayne, Ayame, Selena. Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spudge, uh, Kane, Bronwyn, Matt J, Robert, Rod, Pally, Maddickman, Dominic, Liam, Dave, Karen, Daniel, Harry, Peter, Captain, Aidan, Wheat Watcher, <laughs> <laughs> who's been with us since the 28th of March 2019. I'll uh, give me $2 back, please. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, Murray, Melinda, Adam, Professor, Dr. Dentist, Will, Glenn, Craig, Matthew, Clinton, Alexander, Paul, Tom, Terro, Camille, Kim, Donnie Darko, hopefully his dog has got plenty of exercise. Thank you to the non-patrons who do it through PayPal. Dean Ken was the beneficiary. Mr Anderson, Corinne, Matt Mann, David, Beverly, and now Anne. Thank you very much and to our beer sponsors as well. Who are we drinking we're beers Tonight from? we're drinking Bronwyn's beers. Right, um, thank she you, Bronwyn. Gave, she gave us a James Squire 150 Lashes carton. Thank yeah. you very much, Bronwyn. Thank you very Last much. Last week we drank from uh, Woz, but I can't remember what we drank. Right. Mm. Small cans because they went down really they quickly. They went down really quickly because you yeah. open up the whole can just becomes a cup. It's yes. incredible. Yeah. yeah. It, it, and I don't have the list of beer sponsors in front of me because my iPad's not behaving itself. Right. Yeah. Okay. Beer sponsors quickly was Wayno, Landon Hardbottom, Bronwyn, Dave, Adam, Landon again, Caitlin, Zach, and Captain Doomsday. That's what I've got. So. And friend of the show, Anne right. and Bronwyn. Right. Yeah. There we go. Very good. Thanks so, to all of them. All right, well, uh, thank you for tuning in and uh, listening. I'm very impressed that that sort of Skype call-in worked well. Yeah, so, and, and, and it yeah. was good conversation yeah. with Wheat Watcher. Mm, thank Absolutely. you, Wheat Watcher. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for your support and for watching. Yeah, and if you want you any for... specialist advice on Scotland yeah. or agriculture, yeah. Yeah. anytime. Okay. Wheat futures. Wheat futures, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> very good. No worries, Wheat Watcher. All right, thank you, everybody. Bye for now. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye now. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Bye, week watcher. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. Bye now. And then we fell in love, okay? No, really. He wrote me beautiful letters, and they're great letters. We fell in love. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to.
and maybe pick an episode that you think is a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.